Hello everyone and welcome to the seventh episode of Digital Business Disruptors brought to you by Digital Savages. Today we're going to focus on cybersecurity for businesses. In the conversation with four professionals from the field, we're going to demystify cybersecurity and distinguish hype from reality. Welcome everybody to the seventh episode of Challenging, uh, no, it's not challenging, it's both. It's digital business disruptors. This time focusing on cybersecurity for business. And before we dive into the topic, just a quick introduction from my side. My name is Amit Sabirov. I'm a managing director of IW Connect Netherlands. And I'm going to be your host today. And these gentlemen who are experts in cybersecurity are going to share their thoughts and vision on cybersecurity. So, guys, can you introduce yourself? I'll just line you up. So, starting with Bert, Nabil, Robert, Marianne, and then we can uh, we can kick it off. So, Bert, go ahead. So, hi guys. Have a good day. Uh, I'm Bert Koelewijn. Um, I'm working at KPG in the Netherlands. I'm uh, heading the uh, cyber strategy and risk uh, team in the Netherlands, and we're focusing on you know. Um, helping clients to uh, yeah, manage the cyber risks, but to make that uh, a sensible uh, practice. Uh, large background in IT and cyber already two decades. Um, seen a lot, have technical background, did pen test 20 years ago. Uh, one of the uh, founders the, of the OWASP uh, NL chapter. So that's in short, uh, myself. Right, so I'll take it over now. Thank you, uh, Amir, welcome everyone. Nabil Siddiqui, I'm uh, uh, the practice leader of cyber advisory services within DXE Technology for North and Central Europe. Uh, basically help companies stay resilient uh, every time, always able to do, do business. And I think that's a big part of being secure is also being able to continue your businesses in, in every given time, every given situation. So uh, nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to this uh, discussion. All right, Nabil. Thank you and uh, welcome everyone. I'm Robert Pretzu, uh, currently a senior Dev DevSecOps uh, engineer at ABN AMRO. I have a background in red teaming, pen testing, and uh, blue teaming, um, Splunk monitoring, Azure Sentinel, currently quite involved with Azure security and everything around it. So that's been interesting lately. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the chat. Great. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you, Amir, for inviting me to talk about uh, cybersecurity, which is such an important topic. My name is uh, Marian Steriev. I, have, uh, I am a Chief Technology Officer and uh, uh, IW Connect, uh, located in Macedonia. We are an uh, IT consultancy uh, company providing professional services in integration, application development, DevOps operations, uh, business support, project management, etc., etc. Personally, I am involved in this business almost 20 years. I am with the company from the very beginning. I love uh, science, uh, I like technology, and uh, I like problem solving activities all of the time. Right. Thank you all uh, for introduction. So I think that we have a very interesting topic uh, coming ahead. Uh, so, so just uh, before we kick in with a question, one statement, over 7,000 data breaches were reported in 2019. Protecting customer data waste on corporations which are facing increasingly sophisticated cyber attacks. Um, and just uh, this week, there was uh, again, 
uh, a very interesting uh, news message in the Dutch newspapers where the insurers who offer uh, cybersecurity insurances uh, to companies said, well, uh, we don't think that that's a very good idea. So they're kind of backing off because they didn't really understand how hefty the subject is. What is, what is, your, uh, what is your statement on that? Does, does the world understand uh, the challenges that we are having and facing in the future regarding cybersecurity. So, so <laughs> if I, if I may, uh, it, 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 the challenge is basically that, you know, when you are re, re, very reactive in what you do in business, also very reactive in the world of cybersecurity, it becomes a very cumbersome and very uh, costly exercise to keep on creating these defense barriers and keep it creating these mechanisms uh, whilst being uh, chasing actually what's going on by the attack uh, vectors. So, and if you look at the attack vectors, you know, now anyone, and that has been like this for ages, anyone in a room with a decent connection with a laptop can already start, you know, putting some negative impact on or disrupt your business at any given point, point in time. And they do it for fun. So, you know, they do it for fun. Uh, there is not a lot of investment involved for, from their side at that time. Uh, and they have the time on hand. Uh, but on the other side, if we are always reactive towards how we deal with cybersecurity and always reacting to threats, you know, we look at cyber intelligence, we look at threat intelligence, but we are always walking behind that path, the majority, right? Not everyone. But so if you're, if you're running behind the fact it will also always become too expensive, too cumbersome, and that puts companies off, right? So, so I think the notion of uh, cybersecurity being something that has to be in place to secure your business, we need to start seeing cybersecurity as a driver for business. So if we mentally make that change, I think then we can better understand what added value cybersecurity can bring, not only looking at the cost to, to implement something that may or may not be sufficient enough to protect your business, right? That, that's my two cents. Yeah, yeah there are quite, quite some statements, right? So I, um, I really want to go back to your first remark, Amir, about um, cyber insurance. Um, those insurers did not accidentally came to the conclusion that uh, no, there's happening a lot. I mean, there was this whole battle of, of market share and those insurers just bought market share with low um, uh, low fees and are now growing bigger, bigger, bigger. And maybe now somewhere they reach the turning point that they say, okay, our market share is now big enough. And uh, it seems to be quite costly to pay for all these incident response and pay for all these uh, accidents. So now maybe we need to, need to call them, calm down. Um, that's that's just how I think that that's happening right now. Um, they have been taking risks in their portfolio without doing proper pre-assessments on their new clients. So yeah, I can uh, understand that there are there's quite some risk in their portfolios currently. Um, but that is from the whole uh, cyber insurance part. Um, yeah, so to. To, to further uh, elaborate on, on the remarks made. Um, I mean, it's always, uh, you know, the, the groups and the attacks, I mean, it's, it's not kindergarten anymore. We have uh, criminals 
and with deep pockets that just uh, outsource their technology to hackers um, that have a lot of knowledge of the business process that know how to manipulate the business process and can really make use of the technologies from, from hackers and attackers. Um, whole outsource model in place there. So it's it's not kinder play, uh, child play anymore. Sorry for my Dutch uh, English. Um, and next to that, we have state actors being more and more important. They are in all uh, threat landscapes, also from uh, the intelligence services. Um, you know, looking for IP, looking for, uh, you know, developments in the markets. So we are in a whole world where, yeah, these, these attackers are really well equipped. Uh, but luckily, it's not all relevant to uh, all our businesses. And that is the second point is, okay, how do we determine what is relevant for a business? One. And second, how do we determine if we are uh, if we are doing enough, uh, and that is a very easy question, but it's almost impossible to answer in practice. On okay, do we have enough controls in place? Do we have enough software? Do we have enough defenses? Um, and I think we have been plotting risk on matrices, uh, red, green, and uh, yellow, for like ages now. Um, and yeah, I always compare that to a monkey doing stock exchange. I mean, sometimes they even outperform the professionals. But, <laughs> I mean, that's that's how I see. Uh, you know, if you're still plotting risks on red, green, and amber, uh, it's time to change. <laughs> it's time to do that a bit more data driven and a bit more insight driven. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm you know quite curious if there are any questions around that. Uh, or maybe you know at attendees recognize this. Marian, Robert. Okay, I, I can proceed, Robert. May I? Yeah. Sure. Uh, maybe we can go step back, and maybe the real question is, what does data means for the business today? I think uh, that data is foundation uh, for the business in twenty uh, first century today, because uh, data leads to information, information, information leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insights, and insights leads to wisdom, and uh, digital transformation by definition in using the data you own, understand, and have, and in order to create some new line of business. So if the company understand and value the data they have, they will be able uh, to respect uh, the value the cybersecurity uh, will bring uh, to those companies, especially if they are aware about the legislative and what, are, what is the impact if they lose the data, if uh, some data is unintentionally or intentionally disclosed in public and the fees they will pay because of that. So I think uh, recently, based on a lot of public reports about data breaches, the companies are more and more aware about that, and uh, they will strive to protect their data. Yeah, well, just one thing to add uh, to everything that has been said already, very good points on, on everyone, but I don't think many companies understand that there is business on both sides of this equation, right? There's uh, the legit businesses, the ones that we try to protect and we try to teach how to do uh, security and all those. 
But at the same time, cybercrime these days, yeah, it can be the lone guy that just gets an exploit from the web and just goes crazy with it. But in more cases than not, that is a business in itself as well. And cyber cybercrime these days is being run as a business. They make profits, they have costs, they have employees, they have people involved for the only purpose of breaking in as many organizations as possible, steal as much data as possible and make money in the end. If they wouldn't be making money, they wouldn't be in business. So it might sound very simplistic, but in the end, what organizations have to do, and it comes down to what Marianne was saying, the data and the value of data, as long as you being hacked is more expensive than the benefit that they get after you've got breached, then it's there is no business case there. They won't come after you, except obviously for you know brownie points and and bragging rights and that sort of stuff. But as long as you make their business case no, then you you are you are doing something right. And that again, it's it's very simplistic and it goes way way deeper than that. But it's a it, it's a simple term that can sort of get people to think that you know businesses go both ways they're they're malicious or not thank you all i have like zillions questions because you just did so much you just said uh but would you say when, when we look at it, becoming a data-driven organization you have to align your process you have to align all your application etc centralize your data protect your data etc so if you're running a legacy which I would say in the Netherlands, we're talking about eight out of 10 companies and they're trying to make this shift towards the data-driven organization, centralizing the integration, all this stuff. Then they even haven't cracked the surface of thinking about cybersecurity, have they? Or is this something that is embedded in this process as well? Do they start thinking when they're done or do they start thinking uh, while they're in that process of becoming a data-driven, and how important is that actually? So, you, you, you're really talking about um, an organizational mind shift. Um, I mean, IT and data is, and systems and data are still in many eyes of, of businesses an IT thing. <laughs> You know, and uh, many businesses still have their operational risk management practice uh, where data risk and cyber risk is just a block in the whole uh, enterprise risk management framework. And if you want to, you know, have that mind shift and, and, and also on operational risk level, make sure that, that people understand uh, how a data-driven organization works. You have to somehow translate that in operational risk terminology. Um, you know, and, and NIST published quite a nice research there on how to translate cyber risk into an enterprise risk management framework and start from there. Uh, but it's just an early bridge on you know, how to get that working on that level. Uh, and I'm actually also quite curious for, um, yeah, you know, the, the experience of the honor uh, panelists on okay how do you get an organization in that mindset how do you connect to an operational risk management level how do you connect to a business level 
to really let them see that you know you have to uh, see data as your asset in in, in business. Well, I would say, uh, Bertha, if I if I may, I'm not a panelist, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I don't think that um, to be able to implement this and to become like a data-driven organization, have an analytical culture, we have to step back from that hierarchical point of view, like strategy, tactics, operation. You become a cyclical organization where you're actually connected throughout all the things that you're doing, it's not, especially because it's IT. And you mentioned IT here, and I think. But actually, the old-fashioned IT, when it was supporting the primary process, when it wasn't the primary, those people didn't change. They just added technology, but their way of thinking uh, did not change. So at the moment, if you want to initiate change, the IT today is the biggest obstacle without, within any organization for change because they're... <laughs> like uh, uh, objecting to any type of change, especially because they see there's a lot of work while it's essential for the transformation of the organization. Yeah. Of course, I'm, I'm putting this on, on, a, on a spot. There are also organizations that are willing to change. They see this as an essential. No, but I think, I think we need to be realistic here. I mean, of course, you have a lot of companies that are all the way up to Agile and DevOps and, you know, uh, um, and of course, you have a lot of companies that started that already five or ten years ago. Um, but still, also in the Netherlands, you know, seventy percent of the market still is uh, a business, an IT department, a CIO, and um, uh, and, and uh, how do you say, it? service manager in between. You know, um, and not like an agile or DevOps collaboration. And I think we need to have an answer for both uh, type of companies. So that was uh, why I, I posed the question always also to the group to uh, share some experiences on that. But uh, maybe we can change the story. Uh, we should not talk about IT in general. I'm very sure that uh, we can find some different kind of story that will have correlation with uh, some successful story, some successful uh, case studies for some successful companies. So being data-driven companies, not uh, just about processing big data and having Spark installed uh, within the company that will analyze that data. It is a kind of thinking and a kind of approach how to deal uh, with the business, with the future business. And I think if you, if you take it to the extreme these days, any company is an IT company that does something. They do financials, they do insurance, but they are an IT company. If you take the IT out of any business today, I don't think they will survive long. So that could be the, the coin to push to say, okay, we, we have to think this through and we have to do it right because IT is no longer just a department on you know the second floor somewhere and it, it runs throughout the entire business and we have to start thinking that way and we have to take them the, put, put the measures in place that have the, the the results all across the the organization instead of just you know tying it down and and siloing into a a small place um I, it runs throughout all of the organizations so but but does do you guys also then see that it also has to do with where security where within secure uh, within the organization ownership is taken for security you know is it within the it bracket 
Is it on sea level somewhere? Is it the CIO or is it the CFO? So, so I think that makes a big difference in how you approach that from the top, in in how I, uh, security is seen as a inhibitor of of of, of you know uh, uh, being able to move fast, being agile. Most of the times that we need to be agile, so we cannot have a lot of security in. Right? We need to we cannot have a lot of processes. We cannot not have a lot of procedures. We need to be agile. But it, I think it also also goes with from the tone at the top is where. Do you put that responsibility and where do you say, you know, is security a, a stepchild of IT? That's kind of, you know, so in some ways always perceived, like because it's IT, we inherit security and that's it. Uh, or should we make a move? You know, I see a lot of times it also comes down to where do you position the CISO within the organization then? So these kind of most basic questions need to be addressed again in where do we position that CISO? Is, is it right for the CISO to be under the chief operating officer or the chief information officer? I sometimes even argue it should be under the CFO or the CEO. You know, so, so there is where the thought process begins. And that coming back to my earlier point is how do we make the shift in not looking at, at security as a, a, as a, a roadblock for, for uh, anything we do in business, right? And, and for that, Coming back to Robert's first point, you know, the business case on our side needs to be solid too then. You know, we can look at the business case of the attack, uh, uh, of the attack party, of the, the criminals, et cetera. But as long as we cannot make a closing business case, that what we do has more value than what happens if you lose it, you can never win that. You can never win that race, right? So that's kind of the thinking that we need to, at least that's my experience. That's the discussions we have nowadays. I don't know how the others look at it, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think uh, the question from one of the attendees uh, ties to what you just said, uh, Nabil, and uh, Ali is asking, what should a cybersecurity policy include and how do you implement the policy? Is cybersecurity policy something that is solution for this problem? Policies are paper tiger sometimes, right? So I, I really not, I, I love policies. I come from an IT audit background, right? My, so uh, if you say policy, I say amen. But, you know, we have to see how much that policy matches the business need, you know? And again, it needs to be the decision from the business, not the IT party. It should be the party of the business. The business should feel the pain, should carry the pain, and should feel the benefit. And, and then you need to see, uh, how do you carry that policy around? You know, you can make a policy of hundred pages. I have I have had clients where we make policies of two pages. So you know, there's no hard and fast answer for what should be the minimal requirement of a policy, right? It should work within the setting you are. Yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, um, traditionally we are a company, of course. Um, uh, we have an advisory part, and we have an audit part, and policy is always uh, at the heart of this discussion. I'm, I'm losing a bit of faith in policies. Um, don't quote me. <laughs> oh, this is important. <laughs> <I should. laughs> um, I mean, in a way, you need to find a mechanism to determine who needs to do what on which time and which trigger. You know, and uh, a lot of information security is also just repetitive tasks built into your process that needs to be carried out. And hopefully you can automate them uh, sometime uh, in the future. <laughs> Um, you know, and often we just start with, you know, the, 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 the risk, uh, the countermeasures, determine controls, help the organizations implement controls, and 
create a policy baseline out of that set. It's very concrete controls that are assigned to teams, assigned to people, assigned to systems, uh, you know, and, and create a baseline policy out of that. So it's a bottom-up approach. Uh, of course, it's risk-driven. Of course, you have your threats, you have your attackers, you have your understanding of the simplified field chain, you know, and uh, uh, from that you determine your controls. Um, but the very traditional old-fashioned way to start with your policy, to start with your uh, governance, to, to drill that down, you know, to policy statements on the work floor, you can do that forever. Uh, auditors love it, but I'm also, let's be a bit challenging here, how much secure <laughs> do you actually get? Um, yeah, so I think uh, I'm quite curious for the responses um, yeah, on that. I can see uh, questions, Amir, uh, who is responsible and who is accountable for all of this. Uh, of course, accountable is the top management and the security team uh, responsible for creating these procedures and uh, processes. But uh, regarding responsibility, I think, and that is related to one of your questions, uh, what is the biggest cybersecurity challenge? challenge. I think uh, human and employees are the biggest cybersecurity challenge. They were, they are, and they will be in the future. We can see that 90% of the security and data breaches uh, last year are uh, phishing and social engineering attacks uh, against the companies. So that won't change. Uh, uh, I think, uh, and I can see a kind of shift uh, of the uh, kind of attacks cyber criminals are executing against the companies in the uh, in the past, uh, those are uh, spray and pray uh, phishing attacks. Just uh, uh, fan out a thousand of uh, emails and just hope that some one of the victims will click that link, uh, provide you credentials, or they will uh, execute some payload and create a reverse shell that will steal that uh, computers. Today, that's not the case. We have spear uh, phishing, uh, phishing attacks, uh, targeted person with personalized messages. There is a lot of open source intelligence involved here. Uh, here. We are present uh, online on uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, social networks, and there is a lot of data for each individual. Uh, social engineers and uh, cyber criminals are very experienced professionals doing this profiling, and they can create in a very short time a kind of holistic view of the victim. And once they approach the victim, uh, oxytocin will start flowing in their wings and they will, will feel comfortable in the social engineer presence. And under those circumstances, they will reveal credentials, uh, their private data, et cetera, et cetera. So I think responsibility is for every employee. They are the first bastion uh, and the gatekeeper to the company and the customer's data. Uh, security awareness training uh, is a must for each company today. And I think that's the, the low-hanging fruit, right? If if you're struggling to get traction and get started with something, get started with your people and get them trained, get them security awareness, get them to recognize a phishing email. Yes, I I think we we can beat a dead horse here and say, I you know the humans are like the weakest link. Every but. Honestly, they can be your greatest asset. And if you have a well-trained person that uh, is, is trained on how to recognize a phishing, a spear phishing, and can report it to you, that, that's, that's your greatest asset. In the end, even technology can fail. But 
it's all about the layered approach and it starts with people. If you can train them, and and you can get them to trust you they they will they will come to you and report them and and keep an eye out so yeah security awareness num- number one and not many not many not many places do it so if you yeah sorry guys go ahead yeah so that's it uh i mean we the responsibility is always a recurring item in, in discussions and uh I fully agree with, um, uh, with uh, the point that you know um, the most, the best low-hanging fruit are the people. I mean, if you're a new sizer at the company and, and you want to make your first uh, great step, then you know starting with with people is absolutely um, a good score. Um, but it's always a remaining topic on who is responsible. So in the years, we saw a lot of different constructs with SISO under the CFO, with the SISO under the CIO, with, you know, it can be in many places. I think it's, it's better to zoom in and to see, okay, but what is the work actually done? Because a SISO under the CFO kinds to have a bit of a different focus than a SISO under the CIO. And that's not bad. It can, can actually be good. But are we talking about the CISO or are we talking about an IT or cyber risk manager? If we are talking about an IT and cyber risk manager, we're talking about a kind of different profession than uh, a security manager. And who are you calling the CISO? Are you calling the operational security manager the CISO? Or are you calling the IT and cyber risk manager? Are you calling him or her the, the CISO? Um, so it's it's not about the terminology. I think it's more about okay, what work do you want to be, uh, do we want to execute? And if we look at uh, IT and cyber risk management, I mean it's perfectly fine to have that independently under the CFO, and have these guys challenge uh, the, the countermeasures, challenge the risk posture, challenge you know the mitigation uh, actions, challenge the control framework. I mean, that's that's a very uh, valuable uh, action to do. But typically, if you are in the CFO column, you're not going to understand all these uh, uh, attack tactics that Marjan just talked about. Uh, I mean, honestly, they, they, those guys don't have that uh, deep knowledge on these uh, topics. So I think it's also fine to have a CISO on a more operational level. And you also can call that a security manager. Um, to just fight the bad guys, you know, to just make sure that the company is resilient enough to uh, make the business case invalid for a cyber criminal. Um, so yeah, I, I, I typically see those division of tasks um, and and this kind of positioning. But it's an interesting thing because I didn't hear from all four of you. Nobody said, "Well, we are not." technologically mature enough to deal with these attacks, etc. You said human error. It's like that meme. I know I, I thought across that you have like a high advanced technology, blah, blah, blah. In the left corner and the right corner, you have data, human error. Uh, so if, if, if it's a human error, I would rather say, why don't you place it as uh, uh, HR or chief behavioral officer because it's high to behavior. And of course, understanding what it entails, what threats entail. Um, so it may be, and, and I believe that Nabil also said this, maybe not so much an IT thing, 
uh, or business thing, it's a joint thing. And for that, you need a new type of profile that understands both and understands where the cut could come from and what the biggest risks are. And not only one or another side, but uh, a synergy between those. Yeah, we, we always talk about integrated risk and control frameworks. And, in, you know, we always try to integrate things. Uh, integration always ha leans on the presumption that there are silos somewhere where we're trying to integrate those. You know, I think I agree definitely there should be some kind of overarching responsibility there, you know, looking from a risk-based uh, view on everything we do. And, in that, that, and that could encompass everything. You know, it could be how does IT risk fit into that? How does operational risk fit in, into that? And how does financial risk fit, fit into that? And, and someone that has the capability to tie these things together, right? And I think that, that's where we miss the plot most often, is that we have all these different silos. We, we, we look at them from our own glasses, you know, and there's no one area where we can bring these together. You know, I, what I, we simply sometimes do is just bring these different departments together in one room. Often you see these people don't even talk to each other, right? They, they just have their own world and they have their own worldview. And, you know, marketing always thinks they are the most important. Sales always, you know, every department that has a risk function in it or has a risk function attached to it always thinks they are the most important part of the puzzle. But you can never make the decent decisions, investments decisions, decision of focus. You can never make the decent decisions without laying down the entire puzzle together, Right. Uh, it's just with my children. If I give one of them five, six puzzle pieces, the other few puzzle pieces, they, they sit in different corners of the room. They will never be able to make even that small piece of that puzzle without looking at it as, as a whole. And I think there we are, I think at least my vision is that we that some kind of capability needs to be created and organically within an organization who has that, who has that broader view and who, who can tie everything together, lay the whole puzzle down and they, then make informed decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that is Every basically day. is the function of enterprise risk management or operational risk management. Could be. Um, so <laughs> that that strong strengthens the point to have someone in there with real uh, cyber knowledge. Uh, otherwise, you keep getting, you know, amber, green, red, and uh, oh, a password uh, a hack. Oh, that's red. Oh, uh, unpet server. Oh, that's Amber, you know. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're still on that level, you're never going to get this integrated uh, view. Um, you know, with it, it, uh, you, you need knowledge for that. Um, because, yeah, someone invented cyber-enabled fraud, and then you cross the financial risk box, you cross the fraud risk box, you cross the cyber risk box, and then you cross three boxes that together make one scenario. So yeah, someone has to need uh, make those more strategic cyber scenarios, uh, overarching on all the different risk domains. And I then I even didn't touch upon outsourcing risk. You know, yeah. which can be legal, privacy, financial, cyber, uh, data. Uh, you know, it, it can be everything. So um, yeah, it's it's quite a challenge to get that integrated overview. Uh, regarding your point about technology, Amir, uh, we, technology is there, but uh, we take some things uh, for granted today. For example, Robert uh, will confirm what I'm saying. Uh, for example, in uh, Azure, uh, identity protection, you have adaptive machine learning continuously running and calculating signing risks and user risks. So uh, you will be forced to apply multi-factor authentication 
but we are not thinking uh, about technology uh, under those circumstances. We take that for granted. The same is true with Amazon Guard Duty or a similar machine learning based uh, threat protection uh, tools and services. It is there, but it is not that spectacular. Well, we have a question from an anonymous attendee. Anonymous. Uh, he's asking, what would be security threats for machine learning or AI models? You touched about the uh, technology. To, what yes, uh, that, that is evident. Uh, there are a lot of cloud services uh, today based on machine learning. Uh, uh, for example, if we uh, compare uh, the intent, uh, intrusion detection systems and intrusion detection prevention system in the past. They were based on hard-coded patterns and uh, rules. But today, uh, these systems based on adaptive machine learning start from cold state and uh, in a couple of days or up to period of uh, two weeks, they will learn what normal behavior is, what normal traffic patterns are. And after that, they are able to spot some anomalies and outliers, uh, and they will produce some actionable uh, steps after that. Uh, that is uh, the case with uh, Amazon Messi that is able uh, to detect some irregular uh, patterns for accessing uh, personal identifiable data. Amazon Guard Duty and the whole uh, Azure uh, security and threat protection suite. It is all there. And, and uh, at what level do you think cloud computing affects cyber cloud security of business that choose to go to cloud? Is, uh, is it something that the provider should be responsible for or client or both? This is Janos that asked. So even if you go to cloud, right, or sort of a, you know, you, you give that piece of operations, you put that in the cloud, but that does not mean you also putting away your, your responsibility, right? But I always think there is a difference between execution and responsibility. And, sure. and you, we had this whole discussion, you know, when there was this big outsourcing hype, right? We always say, ah, you go to a client, we outsource this. You know, we outsource our stock. We outsource this and that. But again, the responsibility for that remains with 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 you as, a, as as an organization. So I think in that sense, we always have to see also that this whole uh, cloud adoption. You know, ju just not often you hear, "Oh, we are secure because we are going to cloud, right? We're going to Azure cloud, we're going to Amazon cloud, and we are secure because they are too big to fill, and whatever happens, we are okay." You know, but that's that's again taking a backseat in in protecting your business you know why would you do that right why would you what's the reason <laughs> you know what's the reason you know if i have a if yeah, i have let's, a let's, if let's I have fire a up some discussion here right? yeah no but no it's not, it's just, just amazon for, for for example but like no. if i if i have a, if i bought a new ferrari right and i love to talk in analogies I, that's a car to drive right why would i give the key to someone else and sit in the back yeah, but if the steer is not functioning properly of that Ferrari, we have a totally different. Uh, yeah, but that's a different story. Right? That's and, different and also with with cloud, and and um, I really like your uh, approach, but let's make it a bit more complicated. Um, you know, if I have Office three sixty five, there is basically very little I can do other than just follow the secure configuration baselines implemented in my uh, uh, instance. You know, and make sure that I comply to to those baselines. That is basically what you can do. You can call Microsoft and ask for more assurance, and they will just laugh at your face and send the the, the, the ISO certificate. Um, 
you know, but then there is also uh, infrastructure as a service. There is platform as a service. Then you're still uh, mainly responsible for managing the platform yourself and you know, patching the applications on top of the platform. And, you know, so it's a bit more nuanced on what level you outsource. Of course. Um, yeah, uh, accountability is always with you, but you know, if you have a, a complete service platform of one of the biggest providers, yeah, how much can you do? But it, it also comes down, just keep in mind that, yes, you have Office 365 and it's got all the range of certificates that we can't possibly list here and they're top-notch and all those things. First of all, they can still fail. So you need to be aware of that and take that into consideration. Second of all, if, if your users are not trained to not use password one, two, three as their passwords and all of them use the same password, then it doesn't matter how secure and strong and whatever uh, Office 365 and Microsoft or AWS is, in the end, that's still on you because, well, obviously. So it it's not just how secure is the fortress, but where do you go in to your fortress? How are your locks? How are your checks? Do you just let the Trojan horse coming in or are you are you taking any sort of measures? So the responsibility ranges a lot from SaaS, PaaS, EAS to all your way to your own data center, but it, it doesn't change the fact that you should be aware what are you being exposed to? What risks there are there and, and, and all the range. So in in some sense, cloud changes everything, but it doesn't change anything. It's still the same thing. You still have to think about it. You still have to deal with it. It's It still has to be top of mind and risks are there just like everywhere else. Um, just it's on someone else's computer. That's yeah. it. It basically also comes down back to the data point made before. I mean, if you understand the risks of your PaaS or EAS or, or SaaS, whatever you, you take, you understand the risks and uh, you put your data there. I mean, uh, you basically have to understand, okay, you know, the balance between the type of data you put in there and process there uh, and the type of risks you face uh, doing that. So maybe again, uh, looking at that from a data-driven perspective uh, could be beneficial here. Uh, there is uh, one important thing uh, here, even cloud providers, Amazon and uh, Azure, when they're stating uh, and talking about responsibility, they have shared responsibility model. It is not cloud provider responsibility to Thank secure you. data. They are providing secure infrastructure and they're guaranteeing uh, patching, uh, security patches, up-to-date operating system, but everything else is responsibility of people. Uh, Robert, uh, even if uh, the password is uh, 32 uh, characters long, no matter if if it is not secret, one, uh, two, three, with uh, social engineering, that password will be revealed. So. That's where two-factor authentication comes in. So I can give you my password, you still won't get in. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, uh, and Abil mentioned it uh, previously. Are the uh, leaders or the board still approaching cybersecurity as innovation? Like, what's the return on investment? What, what will we get to it? Uh, is it hard to make a cons uh, conclusive uh, business case for you guys? 
I think it I'll depends. Let that I <laughs> yeah. I, I think it depends, right? If if we're talking security and we're talking IT, then it's hard to it's hard to paint the picture. But if we're talking risk and everything in the business in the end comes down to money, well, risk is quite easily quantified in financials. And as long as you can put a price on that, you can build your case there. But uh, what what I see, and this might be not very accurate everywhere, but we are we are tech people. We are IT people. We we we're very good with computers and, and you know making these things work and and all all the magic that happens. But when it comes to um, selling our ideas or our risks or just painting the picture to someone else, we are not always doing the best job that we can. And I think as much as yeah, it could be the other people that are not aware and that we're not they're not necessarily um, interested in what we we're selling but at the same time we have to make it interesting ourselves and we have to in many cases do a whole lot better job to say hey this is this is the risk and this is big deal and i i will explain it in your own words so you can understand what I'm talking about and then take a decision on it instead of just use jargon and, and words that they've they never heard of. So it's it's complicated, but as much as it's it, it's both both ways, both sides have uh, have to come down to communication. So I, I think the, the, the business case is definitely conclusive in my view, right? It's, it's just about exactly what Robert is saying. How do you package that? How do you link that back to the overall strategy of the overall risk appetite? And how do you put that value on value at risk? That's what it's all about for, for, for board. What's the value at risk right now? Why are we making these investments? What is the value at risk if we don't? And, and that is where, that's why I was referring before as well as that kind of overarching enterprise risk management, you know, kind of position, which is theoretically enterprise risk management in theory, often IT risk is still not 100% part of it, embedded in it. So, so, you know, if we talk money, you know, and that, like Robert said, money is what makes the world go round. And that on board level, that's not, couldn't be more true on that level than anywhere else in the world, right? And that's why, you know, putting that value, value at risk mirror in front of them, you know, in a concise manner, looking how, and, and, and that's where I feel we miss the boat is we have our security strategy, right? And again, also with risk, we have our IT risk, we have our security strategy, but we have our enterprise, you know, strategy of the enterprise. How do they two link in each other? How do they yeah, so relate to each other? Can, can, can I give that story complete, then I think it's, it's easy. Can I give a practical example? Eh? Because you have some pieces of puzzle to get that story uh, on board level. Um, so uh, there are methods like FAIR to quantify risks, uh, to put it in value at risk, as you're, you're saying. They are quite hard to implement. I mean, from a theoretical perspective, it's kind of common sense, you know, but to really operate that in a business, it's quite tricky and quite hard. Um, again, in the beginning, I said NIST has a nice paper on it, so maybe Google for that. Uh, it also shows how to sum that up to, to you know, uh, a value uh, level. We are using something in, in between. 
I mean, uh, MITRE ATT&CK has this very detailed technical MITRE ATT&CK framework. It's completely not usable on, on ERM level uh, until you simplify it really in terminology where business can understand that and say, okay, you know, an attacker comes in, he searches on LinkedIn, he finds a profile, he hacks your, uh, he sends uh, a malicious email, he hacks your computer, he's going to uh, install malware, he's going to lateral move to your most important systems, he's going to act upon his objective and circumvent detection. I mean, that are basically the steps that, that are being done. And if you explain that on business level and connect that to the primary business uh, functions, you know, if you are in insurance, then your primary function is to serve your insurance clients. Uh, you know, if you are in retail, then your primary function is to, to uh, deliver goods to, to uh, individuals. I mean, if that is your primary business function, then you can determine strategic cyber risks on your primary business function using these simple elements as entry, uh, malware, lateral movement, you know, uh, circumvent the detection and act upon objectives. If you have those simple categories, then can, you can build your scenario. That are scenarios that will resonate at board level. Then you can, uh, if you want, you can use FAIR or other methodologies to put a number on it, or you can use a more qualitative model to put a number on it. But the nice thing is, if you have that MITRE as a basis, then later on in your DevOps teams and in your Agile teams and in your really technical teams, you can use the same MITRE tech framework, but then the full framework to do your more detailed technical threat assessment, uh, you know, and to deep dive on those scenarios and to really come up with the technical um, uh, issues. You know, that, that will prevent, and I'm seeing that really too often, a board report that says my identity and access management is not in order, so I have a risk on identity and access management. I mean, shoot me, you know? One, identity and access management is not a risk, but it is a control. <laughs> An issue with your identity access management is not a risk, it's a control failure. You know, and secondly, on board level, nobody gives a shit. Um, Nobody gives <laughs> something about it. <laughs> you know? So you're really talking the wrong language. Um, but having these strategic cyber risks defined, you can say, okay, due to this control failure, that cyber risks is now going to, you know, uh, be out of appetite. We need to invest more into this control and fix these issues. Turning around the language. Yeah. I, I hope, you know, uh, please shoot if it's, if it's not concrete enough, but that is how well, uh, I, I approach it. But I, I think that's the case with anything that has to do with technology. You can talk technology for a whole day to the board and nobody would understand. But as soon as you say what impact it has on the customers, on uh, the suppliers, or whatever that is tied to financial, then they will understand it. How you resolve it, that's not... Yeah, but then you have also your business case, you know? Then you have your business case. It's all about storytelling. I would say conclusive business case is combination uh, with uh, sto uh, successful storytelling and uh, risk uh, treatment plan. So uh, you should explain to the uh, client what is the difference uh, when you accept the risk, avoid the risk, transfer the risk, or mitigate the risk uh, with human language. 
and they will find themselves uh, in those business cases and they will understand what is the most acceptable scenario for them. Uh, uh, th thank you all uh, for elaborating on it. You wouldn't believe it, but we're almost at the end of this uh, dialogue. We're just starting, Amir. We're just starting. <laughs> well, we can continue. Uh, I don't know. If, I can at least let know if we should continue. But um, could you elaborate on where the company should start? It seems like an immense uh, project to start with thinking about cybersecurity implementing policies, technology, storytelling, marketing, sales, business. I mean, you need a new company to do just this. Uh, so if companies are willing to do this um, themselves, apart of calling you, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, Despite the fact we all work for uh, technology-related uh, companies, uh, my personal opinion is that uh, they should not start with technology at all. As I said at the very beginning, they shall understand what kind of data they operate with, what is the value of their data, who has access of their data, uh, who is auditing uh, the data. Uh, they must know about legislative, uh, the fees if the data is disclosed, uh, uh, what are the threats. And after that, after they have and conduct risk treatment analysis and they have planned, after that, they should have a kind of implementation project. And personally, I think for Startup, so for Startup today's is uh, cloud is the best option to start with because uh, in a matter of hours, you can have server and uh, client environment. Uh, that is the quickest start for them. But that is at the end. First, they must understand what their business is and what data they operate today. Yeah, and probably if they if they're starting to think about security, means they have a business already. So they are probably in a cloud. They have probably a couple of services. They are they having employees. They are having all those things that now they have to consider. All right, how do we secure them? So, like Marian said, just start with what you have. Don't don't go crazy. Uh, security awareness for people. Um, uh, security configurations for all your services, right? There is no point in getting the latest flashiest EDR that costs uh, a ton of money if your Office 365 uh, tenant is not as secure as it can be. You know, all all those uh, all those menus and all those subsections that you have to go and click through. Okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? What what is the impact of that? Just go through all of those. Make sure it's it's tight. Uh, you know where data is going and where it's coming in, and uh, you've got a good foundation to build on. But uh, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And experience, I would say, is everything. Uh, I would say, even if some cloud uh, providers has a lot of features, they are eventually consistent, and uh, you will get alerts after twelve hours, for example. So they should be prepared uh, for such events. Yeah. And, and in case you're looking for a reason, just go and figure out how high the fine is for data breach, and that's what we'll do. <laughs> that's always a good stick, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, so I, I remember one time that at a client, we started really top down, you know, indeed, uh, uh, crown jewels, data, uh, governance, policy. And uh, uh, the, the client took a year for that to really build that top down. And in that year, a large data breach happened. 
And the board was like, how is this possible? You're already working on security for a year and still you have a data breach. Yeah, but basically we didn't do anything yet, right? We just discussed governance, we discussed uh, the policy, we discussed the, the crown jewels, we discussed, I mean, so I would, I would, if I was a new CISO in a new company, um, I think it's, it's to really come from a top-down approach. I mean, it's sound and it's logic, but time will catch up with you someday, you know? Some, somewhere you need to also bottom up do some low-hanging fruit, either people or your Office 365 tenant with security baselines or, you know, security baselines and patch uh, uh, management for your uh, physical uh, servers. You need to do something also on the mandatory basic IG yeah. level. Otherwise, time will, um, yeah, will catch you. Definitely, I agree. What I always say is, uh, first, you get clean. Bottom up, just get clean and you stay clean by doing the governance and the whole strategic part, right? So I think for a new CISO, that the first priority, I agree with Bert and the others, right? Come in, make sure you are clean, make sure you are safe, make sure you're secure. And then we can talk about, and I would love to talk about risk appetite. You know, we can do that. But, you know, first get clean because otherwise these kind of things will, will keep on happening. Mm-hmm. Well, I think without, without the intention, you guys actually close it with, with your final thoughts on, on the approach. Um, we have, at this point, one uh, pending question from, uh, from the attendees. Uh, and if you have time, we can answer a few more if they come in. Uh, one of the last uh, was uh, Mayuri. Uh, he's asking, which are the best tools to check security threats? <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I think... Uh, uh, I, I don't have any preference. I'm sorry. I, 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 I wouldn't know what to say. And generally, it's it's the one that you have implemented and it works nice. That, it works that's, nice. that's exactly. the one that, that <laughs> will... Very good. <laughs> that's the one that will solve your problem. Uh, the ones that are on a shelf and you run demos on, they're, they're, they're good while they're there. But the one that is protecting you and it's uh, catching the threats, that's the best one to have. Agreed. And uh, I would just add, if you are in the cloud, uh, I think the choice is obvious. I won't uh, name the tools, but there are tools that will provide you network security protection, firewalling detection, and everything we need for in order to run the business. I, I might you. just uh, want to say, um, I've seen companies buying a lot of tools. Um, forgetting that the tool itself also needs an architecture, also needs management procedures, also needs a cost model and training and, and support, uh, level three support. Uh, the whole service model around the tool is often forgotten by the size of buying tools. Um, please understand every new tool, every new technology that you buy comes with a service delivery model. Who's doing what? Who is doing the maintenance? Who is the level three help desk? Who is uh, the party behind delivering the updates, delivering the services? You know, which people should I train? We should work with it. How do I secure the security tool? There is a whole model around maintaining security tooling. And sometimes it's easier to just have one large integrated cloud vendor also supplying all kinds of security technologies in one maintainable package. It's also uh, nice to look at from a service delivery perspective. Yeah, definitely. You know, I also a tool with a fool is still a fool. 
Who would have told us they were a fool? And you know, it, it is hard to come down as how do we how do we also if you implement, for example, sock monitoring, just just for the sake of naming one a tooling, you know, and if you just go out around implement it with the standard use cases, you will always have shit, right? Pardon my my French. But you know, you always need to make sure that the tool you implement meets your specific use cases, what you want to do with it. And it can be successful. Otherwise, you know, you can spend a whole lot of money and it won't give you any more value than you're already getting. It might, it might end you up even worse if you think about it because security tooling in general have quite a lot of uh, permissions and access to machines and to everything. And if you've got a SOC, like a centralized SOC with all the data, security data that comes in and it's not properly protected, yeah, you, so you've just got yourself everything in one place for every, anyone that wants to look at it. And, and you, you might just log in your, your card details and all your card and payment information if you are such, and you're, you're in more trouble than before because at least before the attacker would have had to hunt for it and find it and move laterally. Now you just, yeah, go there. You have everything you'll ever want. You don't want that. So you offer it on a civil platter. Regarding sophisticated tools, uh, people always think there is a kind of machine learning model behind, uh, behind these tools. But uh, they should be aware that, uh, for example, in Office uh, 365, data loss prevention, the solution is based on the good, uh, good old uh, regular expressions. So uh, you can create such controls at home. And if it works, gets the job done. Support, <laughs> support. I see, guys, there, there are not uh, any other questions that you have elaborated on all things that, that our attendee wanted to hear. So thank you for participating. I think we can talk for hours, but I don't want to rob you from your time, uh, uh, Thank you for elaborating and uh, stay safe and healthy. And until next time. Until next time. Thank, thank you for inviting us. Good to speak to you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thank you very much for listening, dear ladies and gentlemen. This was seventh episode of Digital Business Disruptors, Cybersecurity for Business. In the eighth episode, we're going to focus on photonics for business. On 30th of April at 4 p.m. Central European time, we're going to discuss the new business value of photonics for businesses. In case you haven't registered yet, you can do so on our LinkedIn page or by visiting our website, digitalsavages.eu. For now, this was Digital Business Disruptors, brought to you by Digital Savages, with your host, Amir Sabirovic. Stay safe and healthy, and until next time, 